0: Well, hello, hello, hello. I uh, (laughs) hope you guys are doing well. I got my uh, Even Jesus Had a Fishing Story shirt on because I am in the Sunshine State with the boys. With the boys. We're fishing that way, Captain, to the fish. We are fishing in the Keys, hoping uh, to uh, have a lot of fun course, anytime this group gets together, it uh, anything can happen, uh, but we're going to have a good time. Uh, I'm sure we're having a good time, and uh, these are the boys, and hopefully, uh, like, we are catching fish, eating fish, and not starving to death. We are, um, I'm having a good time, so I miss you guys uh, back in Burlington, but um, the ocean is gorgeous. We're loving our city. This is what we're doing, striving to do that every day. We, uh, on the fourth Saturday, we'll do pancakes. That's in a couple weeks. So be ready for that. Come and join us for that. We'd love to have you. Uh, We're going to do this food packing event at the camp on May the 4th. Be ready. Come help us pack food. Thousands of uh, meals that will go all over the world with IDES. Uh, IDES is the International Disaster Emergency Services that we uh, minister with and work with and help support this is the camp theme thy kingdom come this summer camp registration is open if you want your kids little people all the way to teens in high school to come to camp this summer would love for you to come and be a part of that your faith has saved you this is uh what we have been talking about over the last bunch of weeks uh well uh two weeks ago we had our celebration so not that week. And last week we started uh, sir, this uh, sermon, part one. And today we're going to get to part two. But we're talking about your faith has saved you, and like Emeril uh, Lagasse, we're going to take it up a notch. Okay, like bam, we're taking it up a notch, and uh, we are going to extreme faith. We're gonna we're gonna take our faith, and we're taking it up a notch, and that. That isn't about God doing more of his thing. That's about us being way more in tune with God. Less of me, more of him. He must increase, like John the Baptist said, I must decrease. And so let me review for a minute about a few things that we uh, talked about last week that will give us a running start into what uh, we're going to talk about this week. Hopefully hopefully, this will not be us in the Keys or, uh, or in, uh, down in Fort Myers uh, swimming in the uh, water. Okay, uh, pray that that does not happen for us. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, but what's happening in a nutshell is that we're in a storm with Noah. Okay, this is uh, the floodwaters have come and we are in this storm with Noah. And in a nutshell, God says to us today, Here's what he says to you and me. You're going to need a bigger faith. Uh, If you're going to go after extreme faith, if you want to take your faith up a notch and and move closer to God and, and desire for God to do something huge in your life, God says to you and to me, you're going to need a bigger boat. Extreme faith. Way bigger than just normal, everyday Joe faith. Okay, in Genesis 6 and 7, there's so much to discover. All of Genesis is packed full of good stuff, but we're digging into two major truths. And last week what we said is this, when God does what God does. This is last week. What God what when God does what God does. There's so much to that thought. And it's about knowing How God responds. It's about knowing the heart and the mind of God, right? And the only way we know this is in his word. We read the Bible and we discover what the heart and the mind of God is. We can begin to understand how God responds, how God works, how he interacts with us as people, what he expects from us what we need to do to respond to him, what it means to worship God and serve God and and, and be on mission with God and to know God, the things we talked about two weeks ago, like all those things we only will discover in the word of God. That's where we go to learn the heart and the mind of God so that we begin to understand when God does what God does. And this is so cool. In Genesis 6, what happens is God saw the wickedness of man and the corruption, right? He, he was sad that he made mankind. And he saw Noah and he found, then Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God had Noah build an ark and it took him about 100 to 120 years to get this huge huge massive boat built he put all the animals in it the birds in it his family in it his wives and his 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 wife and their his three sons and their wives and the flood came and it destroyed the earth and God in his holiness and God in his glory demonstrated that he will not tolerate our rebellion and our sin won't he won't tolerate it he's not going to put up with it and it cannot come into his presence he is holy he is pure and with our sinful rags we cannot approach god and we need to take that to heart like we need to take that in our own life to heart like my life my sin my rebellion must be dealt with, and I must bring it to God. He is going to deal with our sin. He is going to deal with us. While at the same time, he searches. He searches the earth for someone, anyone, anyone that would seek to honor him, anyone that seeks to glorify him with their life, Anyone who says, God, I want want not just to live by faith, but I want to live by extreme faith. Use me however you can. Can you imagine a person like that? And this leads us to our second major truth, which is this. This is our first major truth, when God does what God does. And our second major truth in this story is the extreme faith of one man, just one person. Out of all the people, just one. Just one. So realize this. this the extreme faith of one man. Just, just let that sink in for one minute. Think about what this means. This means that God, God is searching. He's looking. And he may find a lot of corrupt, evil, dark things going on in the earth. But he's still looking and searching for that one. And you know what that means to you and me? That means that I have a chance. That we have a chance. That we have a chance to live in such a way to honor God, even if no one else on the planet is doing that. I can decide in my own life that I'm going to honor God and I'm going to live for Him. And I pray and hope that when He goes searching, He sees me. He sees us. Right? That's what it means. It means we have a fish. It's kind of like fishing. Right? It's like fishing. If you have bait and if you have line in the water then you have a chance to catch a fish like if you got it in the water there is a chance and and you might even just catch the monster fish of them all that's what we're after this weekend we're after that monster fish we want to catch shark we want to catch wahoo dolphin mahi Oh, man, we're after the big boys. We want to go catch some good fish. That's what we want to do this week. See, when God comes to Noah, Noah is no spring chicken. Kind of like this guy. No spring chicken. Noah is not a spring chicken. He's like 500 plus years old. He, he has a wife. Noah has a wife. Her name is uh, Miss Noah. Actually, no. Actually, no. Noah's wife is... According to the Dead Sea Scroll findings, Noah's wife is Emzera, Emzera. Noah's wife's name is Emzera. And Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? And those three sons have three wives. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the wife's name, but... But in in uh, historical writings that we have found that are not biblical writings, so this is not in the Bible, but this is a uh, more tradition. These are their wives. Now get this. Shem's a wife. Shem's wife is Sedequel Bab. Sedequel Bab. Okay, you're you're gonna want to write these names down because you're gonna probably want to name your children some of your daughters these names. Okay, Sede. Quit sedequit el Bab. Sedequit El Bab. Come here. Okay. Uh, ne, ne El Tamuk Telamuk. That, um, that is Ham's wife. Ham's wife is Ne El Temauk. Okay, that's a beautiful name. And then um, Japheth's uh, wife's name is Adeta adetanessis Adeta That's a pretty name, right? That's their name. That's apparently their names according to tradition. So God comes to Noah. That was just extra bonus stuff. God comes to Noah, and you could almost imagine the conversation as God comes to Noah, right? And Noah, he's just like minding his business, living life on the earth, doing his thing. And I could imagine the conversation went like this. Noah. Hey, Noah. 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 The, the uh corruption on the earth this is God the corruption on the earth has gotten so much the violence is is out of control Noah I'm going to destroy all of mankind I'm going to flood the earth Noah 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 do you know what a flood is do you know what a flood is Noah And I can imagine Noah saying, "Uh, not really. I've never seen a flood. doesn't even really rain around here. So Noah's like, I I have no idea. And and God says, Noah, there's a lot of water about to come on the earth. A lot of water is about to fall on the earth and fill the earth up. And he says to Noah, Noah, you're going to need to build a boat. And I can imagine Noah saying, what's a boat? What's a boat? I don't know what a boat is. Uh, Well, Noah, something that you can float on top of water with, Noah. Something that you can float on the water with, okay? And I can imagine Noah going, hmm, okay, okay, I've got something in mind. I've got something in mind, something that might float on water. And he probably has this idea of this Tom Sawyer-type raft, right? Or maybe the basket that Moses... Uh, you know Moses floated down the Nile with some kind of uh, some kind of flotation thing, and I'm sure God probably said that's really cute. Uh, but no Noah, wh- whatever you're thinking about Noah, whatever kind of boat you're thinking about Noah, or whatever kind of vessel you're thinking might float on the water Noah, it, it is going to be uh, need to be much much bigger than that. It's going to have to be huge Moses uh, uh, Noah. In fact Noah, think three football fields. I'm sure this is what God said to Noah. No, when you think about the size of this boat or ark, you need to think three football fields long. Now, I know you're probably thinking that's that's crazy, that's impossible. Noah didn't know what football fields were. But but I don't know. I I kind of beg to differ with you. I think Noah had some, some favorite NFL football teams. I think he did. I think he had the Ravens. I think he had the Eagles. I think he had the Rams. Yeah, the Rams. And then his fourth team, you know, probably was the Buffalo Bills, right? Because they were Buffalo. They roamed the land, right? So surely he knew about the Buffalo Bills, right? So I'm I'm sure Noah had those favorite teams. And so he's like, okay, God, three football fields long and and, and, and this huge boat, and it's like 50-something feet tall, huge piece of uh, boat that's supposed to float on water. Like, this is crazy. God, this is huge. And so Noah then gathers his boys, and probably their wives, and they go to work. They go to work building this huge ship. So get this, Noah, Noah is over 500 years old. 500 years old when God called him to build the boat. And he's 600, this is very specific, he's 600 years, two months, and seven days old when the flood waters came so it took them about a hundred years a hundred years to build this boat that is simply incredible and in chapter 7 verses 11 12 it says this on that day the day that noah entered the ark the springs all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates, the floodgates of heaven were opened and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The rain just kept on coming. The flood just kept on rising and the ark rose above the earth as the water lifted it up and it covered the mountains 15 cubits. So the boat, the ark was 15 cubits above the mountains. 15 cubits is about 22 and a half feet above the mountains. Now Mount Everest is the biggest mountain on the planet, and it is over 8,000 feet above sea level, 8,000 feet plus 22 more feet, and that's how deep the floodwaters were on the earth. As the earth was engulfed in water, the floodwaters were very, very deep. This is why we find, like, sea creature fossils on the tops of mountains, right? The the, the flood. It's why we, we find, we discover these like sea things that don't belong on the mountains on top of the mountains. And it's why things were preserved so well. The fossils and slow moving sea life, like, like clams. I actually have a petrified clam that I got down in Texas. And, and dinosaur tracks that you can you can go and look at down in Texas at the Paluxy River, you can go and walk in dinosaur tracks, they're huge tracks and they're all over the bedrock because, because the flood, the flood and the mud covered them so fast as the water rushed through the, uh, the the valleys and the hills and all this mud and sediment, and preserved them so they did not deteriorate, deteriorate or decay. Things that that we can discover now, that archaeologists discover now, that probably should not have been there if it if it deteriorated at a slower rate. But because of the flood and the water and the mud, these things were preserved. And now we discover them later on. Uh, in our day the flood the flood is the only answer to this situation and the Lord God he wipes out every living creature on the earth people and animals and the waters flooded the earth for 150 days 150 days that's about a half a year the waters on the earth flooded if it wasn't in the ark it perished if it wasn't in the ark it perished except of course for sea life most sea life uh, fish and these kinds of things if it wasn't in the ark it perished that's what the bible says if it wasn't in the ark it's gone it's gone and in the same in the very same way If you aren't in Jesus, you too will perish. Anyone who is not in Christ will perish. See, the flood was about more than God washing the planet and starting over with mankind. The flood, the flood is the very reflection of when Jesus returns and anyone who is not in Christ will perish, will be destroyed. See, Noah's extreme faith is evidenced in the quality of Noah's character. His character is why God chose him. And there's two things I want to point out about Noah's quality of character that gave him the level of extreme faith that he ended up in, that God would choose him these two things that Noah were a part of Noah's life. The first thing is this, Noah honored God. That's, that's as simple as it gets, but, but as difficult as it gets as well. God was first in Noah's life. He walked fully, it says, with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked on the earth, and who did he see? He saw Noah. The word favor the word favor right here noah found favor in the eyes of the lord is from the hebrew word which is ken and the greek word which is cheren and it means graciousness he found grace in the eyes of the lord there was hope in noah that was useful to the that lord god could use noah that he could use him for his purpose and his glory do you remember god's ultimate his ultimate goal was not extermination. His ultimate goal was regeneration, was to give mankind a second chance by wiping out most everything and starting over again. Noah was the one guy who stood out in the eyes of the Lord, in fact, Uh, In verse 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He was a righteous man, a just man. It, it, It means that he was like, he was upright in the way that he lived his life and the things that he did in the way that he went about his life he was in a way blameless it's it's like he was nearly a perfect person but not necessarily perfect but later on we'll discover that 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 he fell on that but but there was a sense of perfection in Noah he was upright it has to do with integrity he he was a man of integrity And so in chapter 7 verse 1, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark and you and your family because, look what he says, I have found you righteous in this generation. And so God looks on the earth and it's all wicked, it's all corrupt. And he finds one man, Noah, and he considers Noah the one man that he found righteous in this entire generation now that is good that is so so good and at the same time so very very sad only one person in the entire generation and it it makes it makes us have to wonder what about our generation what about this generation talking about my generation? Who, who, who does God see righteous in our generation? Huh? Are, there any, uh, are there any Noahs among us? Are there anyone who's living right with God, striving to live and to honor God? Noah honored God. Uh, Secondly, the second thing about Noah's character is not just that he honored God with his life and he walked with God, but he obeyed God. Those are the two things that if we'll just do those two things, like honor God with everything in you and obey God with everything in you, we'll be just fine. Noah obeyed everything, every clear detail that Noah understood, he obeyed in God. God did the hard part. Right, God did all of the rest, everything beyond Noah, the Lord God did. Now, this is the truth for you and me as well, because that's how God works. He doesn't expect us to do things that we're not able to do. He does those things. He only expects us to do the things that we're capable of doing. And in verse 8, it says, Noah found favor he found favor in the eyes of God. Now think about that. This is before God tells him about building the ark, he found favor in the eyes of God. In other words, long before the ark, long before the call to build the boat, Noah was walking with the Lord faithfully. And it's for that reason that he was called then To do this extreme thing. See, the problem today with most Christians in the church is we want God to do something really big in us and through us, but we aren't really all that faithful to him in the little things. Right? It begins in the daily grind. It begins in being super faithful right there in the small things. Start there. Here's the truth. We will never get to extreme faith if we are not doing faith 101. We will never get in our lives to some extreme great big thing with God if we're not just doing the basic simple things of the faith correctly, right? Just, we don't even have a shot at it. We don't have a chance. God gives Noah the blueprints to this massive ark, right? I I don't know if you've ever gone uh, to the ark uh, um, excursion or experience uh, that's uh, out up in um, southern Ohio, just above the uh, Kentucky border into Ohio. There is this huge ark that, that we went and saw Uh, Two years ago, we're looking at taking a group again this year. If you want to go to the ark, let me know. This is a, look at, that's a person. This thing is huge. This is a replica of the ark, but inside are all these rooms and and the different decks. And the the people built this to to the same specifications as we read about in the scripture. It is so cool. If you've never been, you got to go. God gives Noah like the dimensions of the boat, the materials of the boat, how to cover it, how to side it, how to waterproof it. And then the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 22, and Noah did all that the Lord God commanded. Do You see that? That's huge. God says in chapter 7, 1 to 4, he says, Noah, go into the ark, take your family, take the animals, and in seven days from now, I'm going to send the rains. And chapter 7, verse 5 says the same thing. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. In chapter 7, verse 23, everything, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds were Wiped from the earth, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Everything is wiped out. Only Noah and his family and those animals live through this massive devastation. Why? Why? Why do they live? Because when God does what God does it is best for you and me to be on the obeying side of the Lord it's best for us to be found obeying honoring living toward believing in seeking hungering after waiting for his return it's going to be best for us to be in that position than to be on the other side because everything and everyone on the other side will perish will perish. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were just going about life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. It's why Peter writes and he says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built." In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved. And the water, this water, speaking of the flood, this water symbolizes baptism. This is the New Testament now. Baptism that now saves you also. Read that again. This water, talking about Noah, symbolizes baptism. That now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body like a bath, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? Who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand uh, with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. The flood. The flood. This is a, a picture that the astrologers took during the time of the flood. Uh, <coughs> astrologer. The, um Our um, you know, high-tech cameras were able to go back several thousand years and take this picture of the earth covered in water. Uh, but this flood, the cleansing of the entire planet, 8,000 plus feet water deep over the mountains, is what we experience in baptism. The flood symbolizes what you and I are plunged into in baptism, being immersed into a watery grave that now, Peter says, that now saves you. This baptism into Jesus, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection, You go down into the grave. You are buried with Christ. You come out of that water. You are a new creature. You are a new person in Jesus. And you are alive again in Christ. You are born again. You have died to yourself. Children cannot do this. Infants cannot do this. Only those who understand that they have sinned against God and rebelled against him can Comprehend what it means to be separated from God. And at that point, we must be immersed into Jesus. It's why Jesus said, You must be born again. And if you know somebody, side note, if you know somebody who says, I was born this way, that's fine. That's fine. Don't argue with them on that. But here's what you tell them that's why you need to be born again. Simple. It's why you need to be born again. You need to become a new creation in Jesus. The old must go and the new must come. doesn't matter that you feel you were born like that. You you, you need to die to that. You need to be born again. If you haven't been immersed into Jesus as an adult, you need to be baptized. We, 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 you know, and and, and would, I would love to take part in that with you. I would love to be a part of that for you, for your life. In a pool, in the ocean, in a hot tub—it doesn't matter. We just need enough water to be your spiritual grave that you can plunge into and completely be immersed in it. Let's do it. Let's do that. In chapter eight, Noah continues to obey God, and after the water subsides, the dry ground—the uh, dry ground—the dry ground appears. And God said to Noah. Come out of the ark. So Noah comes out of the ark. He and all his family and all the animals and the creatures and the birds. And Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed to God. See, it makes sense uh, why he took seven pairs of animals, right? This is why he took seven pairs of, of other animals, right? Couldn't just take two of each kind. Can you imagine that scenario? Can you imagine they get off and, and it's time to sacrifice to the Lord? And Shem's like, Dad, hey, Dad, I got the uh, skin goat. I've drained his blood and he's ready for the burnt offering, Dad. And Noah's like, no, no, not the male goat. And then he has to write down on his clipboard, extinct, extinct. Chapter 9, God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And more than once, God says to them, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And Noah and his three boys, they had no problem like obeying God in that, right? And in chapter 9, verse 18 to 19, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. And from them came the people who were scattered over all the earth or over the whole earth. God made a covenant with Noah and all the peoples never again to destroy the earth with water. And God puts this beautiful, colorful rainbow in the sky as a covenant. And I can imagine Noah going, wow, never seen that anything like that in living color like that. That's incredible. And every time we see a rainbow, God demonstrates again to you and to me the ultimate reward of obedience to God the promise of his covenant and the reminder of his extreme and mighty power that he will not tolerate our sin. Extreme faith takes faith 101 to a whole nother level. The impact then is much bigger than just you and me. Noah, Noah, your faith, your faith has saved you and not just you Noah but your extreme faith has saved the entire human race that is no small thing That is what this is what extreme faith looks like and this is what extreme faith does How amazing is this story of Noah, and we just touched on some things, but Noah's quality of character was he honored God and he obeyed God. That's it. When God does what God does, it is best to be on the obeying side of the Lord, to be right with him, to be the one person that God, when he looks on the earth and he sees all the mess going on, he sees you and he sees me. Live in our lives, not just faith 101, but live in our lives, extreme faith in Him. That's what I, that's where I want to be found. That's what I want God to see when He looks at me. I've got a prayer point for us to kind of think about as we kind of wrap this up and just spend a minute or two and just to yourself, pray and think about this thought. And it's this, what's it going to take? What is it going to take for me to go From faith 101 to extreme faith. What is my next move toward the Lord? What what is it that God, wherever I'm at, what is it that God wants to move in my life or move me toward in my life? What is that? Maybe for some people it's, I've, I've never been immersed into Christ. I need to do that. I need to just take care of that detail. I need to do that. Maybe God's calling you to some mission or some ministry or, or to to leave whatever it is you're doing and go to Bible college and be a preacher, go be a missionary and go somewhere overseas or, or to the strip clubs or wherever God is calling you. What is it when the Lord looks at you? What is he calling you to? What's gonna move you from, from faith 101 to extreme faith? Think about that for the next few minutes and I will see you all next week. Fish on.